Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. If you have been a part of our church for any length of time, really, you'll know that we've been reading through different passages in our Hebrew scripture, learning some about our ancestral and religious history, while also looking for the ways that we anticipate with hope the the coming of Christ. All of scripture is this long-standing, holds this long-standing tradition of storytelling and incredible poetry and songwriting and uh, some beautiful letters of both of hope and of warning about ways that we're meant to live as people of faith in a chaotic world. So early in the fall in September, we started reading with the very first chapters of the book of Genesis, the first book in our Bible, and we looked for the ways that God was continuing to call us to care for the the creation around us. We looked at how God created everything as this miraculous event, breathing fresh life into these Adam, the people of the earth, the, the people of of the the dirt and the mud and the ashes. God created these beings and then breathed into them this breath of life and then immediately instructed them both to care for the garden but also to be fruitful and to live a life of abundance in the space that God has set up. And almost immediately we see how people, uh, whether they be mythic or real, started wanting more than what God had given them, or wanting to hold on to what God had given as their own gift rather than a gift to be shared. And we see how people continue to descend into a world of chaos. And then that's where we met Noah, when the world was erupting in violence all around him. God noticed one individual, one family that was living differently in the world. So God showed up to Noah and offered him an incredible and terrifying opportunity to restart humanity, to be the the new beginning for a new life and a new people. And so Noah built this ark, allowed space for all of God's creation to be able to fit within it, right? Caretaking all of the earth, symbolically and really caretaking all that God has had created on this small man-made boat, demonstrating there as a family their capacity to do that one command that God had given the first people in the Garden of Eden to care for creation and live with the abundance that is already present. And so Noah rebuilds this new life and we see how very soon after, unfortunately, we saw how uh, humanity started using the power that they had around this unity to try to match God. And they built this Tower of Babel, and that's where God scatters people around the world. And we learn about the incredible importance of diversity to understand the expression of God's love. And so we get this story, right, where a chosen person brings this moment and then suddenly the people start to think too much of themselves and then God reminds them that they are meant to share in this abundance, not to isolate because of it. And you see that family, those families 
multiply, be fruitful, some of them caretaking the earth, some of them wielding it for themselves, and many of them descending into war and violence yet again. And so God comes to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah and promises them that their lineage will be a beacon to the rest of the world, teaching the rest of the world how to live under that original covenant. If Abraham's family is able to be uh, fruitful and consistent and mindful about the ways that God has called them to live radically different in this world, then they will be such a blessing to the rest of the world that they will change the whole landscape to be less about isolation, less about violence between nations, but instead learning how to be blessings to nations rather than adversaries to nations. And eventually that might reform the world through this lineage to follow that original commandment, to care for creation, and to live abundantly alongside one another. And we followed that lineage. Abraham, uh, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. And so we see how this lineage continues to progress throughout history and some of them do really well and some of them fall into the same traps of isolation and violence against one another, but we see this glimmer of hope as each generation goes along. Finally, getting to a moment where things seem to be their bleakest, right? And the people who are descendants of Abraham are living as slaves to another empire who has subjugated them um, rather than caretaking, right? It's the opposite of what God has called humanity to do. And out of this terrible moment, God calls a certain man, Moses, and his brother Aaron and their family to lead these people to the land of promise so that they can fulfill their covenantal obligation to be a beacon, to live as an example, and to transform the world around them. So they go through a 40-year period, basically a generation walks through the wilderness, learning these new habits of how to live in deep connection with God, trusting in the abundance of God, and they have to learn that in multiple steps. And they do, and they get to the edge of the promised land, and eventually they are able to walk in. It's an incredible story about God's persistence, and humanity's need to be constantly transforming and constantly learning so that we can live with that kind of hope, that kind of expectation, that kind of anticipation for something better than what exists now. And when they finally have that, when they see that there is a better way, they descend into the promised land, participating in similar cycles of violence. And we see the judges who are meant to rule these Hebrew people, the people who are building Israel, descend into more and more violence. And then God allows the people to change the way that their leadership is structured. So rather than being a judge, a sort of tribal leader, they're allowed to elect a king. And that king, Saul, starts off with deep faith, and eventually the power that he holds goes to his head, and you see him descend into violence. And then God chooses David, who is like the chosen of the chosen of the chosen one, to a man after God's own heart, scripture describes him as, and 
he's anointed to be this king who will be different than the other kings. And he is for a long time until he starts also making some poor ethical decisions. And when he tries to honor God by building a temple, God won't let him because there is too much blood on David's hands. So from David, we move to his son, Solomon, who was able to build a temple. And we learn about the ways that God's full presence filled the space of the temple. And through the next several generations, all of the faithful people learned that the presence of God was not contained by, but um, filled with, or filled the temple in Jerusalem. So they would go on a regular basis up to Jerusalem, up to the temple to make ritual and ritual sacrifices in order to attune their hearts, their minds, and their lives to the presence of God. All of their religious and political and communal life revolved around worship in the temple. But unfortunately, as time went on, Solomon started enslaving his own people. Um, and then his son was even worse. And so this unified kingdom split into multiple factions and that led to similar bouts of chaos. And eventually the next kings all fell into the same traps over and over and over again. And we just see chaos descend into this now divided kingdom. And eventually prophets are raised up to remind the people of Israel about how they have failed to live into the covenant. They were meant to live as beacons of a life of hope, and instead they allowed themselves to be conformed by the habits of violence in their society, the habits of power wielding in their society. So prophets come, and that's where we get to today. We've read a couple of prophets over the last couple of weeks, and now we get to the weirdest one, <laughs> Ezekiel. If you haven't read Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'd recommend reading it, but you might want to do it with a partner. It's a weird book. Ezekiel is a weird guy, but Ezekiel um, was living in Jerusalem when the empire of Babylon came into Jerusalem to uh, lay siege. And uh, Ezekiel was one of the first uh, groups of people who was pushed into exile. And so for he, uh, scripture describes two years after he goes off to live in exile, he's basically living in a refugee camp. Um, he turns 30 years old and suddenly while he's sitting beside the river, he has a vision of the presence of God. And that presence of God, he watches leave the temple in Jerusalem to come to this refugee settlement and out into the world. And from that vision, Ezekiel starts using his life to sort of play act how the faithful people had allowed the, their pride, their arrogance, their greed to get in the way of their faith in God. And so rather than being a beacon of how to live a new life that is entirely devoted to this trust that God has made enough for all of us to thrive alongside one another, and this call that we're meant to live under to care for creation. Instead, the, these people who are meant to live lives of faith were instead leading lives of absolute self-importance, gaining immense sums of wealth for themselves, wielding power against their own sisters and brothers and siblings, 
learning violence and oppression more than they learned love and caretaking. And Ezekiel uses his life to demonstrate that. He <laughs> spent one full year laying on his side, eating food that had been cooked over dung, like those sorts of things. And that was meant to describe the sacrifice that they were being called to make as a people of faith while living in this disgusting sort of place. The symbolism is beautiful and weird <laughs> and beautiful, um, but we, we don't have enough time to get into all that. I'm sure um, some of you all are grateful and others of you, I hope, are pulling out your Bible uh, to read into it. There's a lot of really great stuff there. But suffice to say, the first 35 chapters in the book of Ezekiel, it's just a lot of really intentional, judgmental, and important language for people of faith who had forgotten who they were. They had let all the other stuff get in the way of their true identity, their their deep center, their original created blessing, and instead had turned on one another, leading to an inevitability when foreign empires would be able to both lay siege to Jerusalem and eventually take it over, destroying the temple. And in the 34th chapter, that's exactly what happens. Ezekiel hears word that Jerusalem was no longer under siege. Babylon had destroyed it, and not only destroyed the city, but destroyed the temple. And so for all these people where their whole religious life had revolved around God being present in the temple, it was heartbreaking, you know, life-shattering. You know, it's one thing to be living somewhere else, assuming that you'd come back after a siege is over, but to know that everything that you once loved is destroyed and there is no going back is heartbreaking. But that is exactly what happens for these people at faith and for Ezekiel. So I want to pause for just a really brief second to say, like, we are not so unlike Jerusalem. I know this sermon has really been like a dive through very brief uh, view of the Hebrew scriptures, what, what many of us call the Old Testament. And it is that. They, I hope that you are seeing as many parallels in our world as I am. When people describe America as a Christian nation, often in the same moment that they talk about a need for a strong military presence around the world, it makes me wonder if that's true or if we're just wielding power. When people talk about America first while also claiming Christian faith, I wonder if they've ever read these stories or if we've ever read these stories about how God consistently and persistently calls for people of faith to live as an example to nations around the world about how to live with genuine, real justice, caretaking the most vulnerable, and living in such a way that we would hold the lives of other people as sacred 
So when people talk about shutting down borders or limiting healthcare or any of these massive political debates that we seem to get into while also talking about being a Christian nation, I wonder sometimes if we have lost our story. And it makes me think how easy it was and is for us to just go along with whatever popular culture pushes us towards. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of not not a lot of new things. We continue to talk about violence as a way to fix violence. We continue to talk about having to isolate away from other cultures and other people in order to preserve something. But our scripture doesn't describe that. Our scripture describes the chosen people of faith not living in isolation, but instead living as examples of how to love, how to caretake, how to live abundantly, trusting that even if we were to give all that we had away, that God would continue to be at our side, helping bear good fruit forward. So when I hear these words of condemnation, or when I see these cycles of judgment and pain, it cannot help but think about how we too are guilty in the same cycles that have existed from the beginning of time, and that our only chance of freedom from it is to lean into the presence of God and trust in the child Jesus who will be born on the 25th of December, as he is every year, a child who is symbolic of hope and peace and joy and love. So that rather than me having to live as an example, I can look to Jesus as the example and follow in his footsteps. So anyway, that's what happens for Ezekiel. Ezekiel is heartbroken as much as he is, I'm sure, livid with himself, with his people, with his friends and family, his political leaders, everything. It's so easy to be so overwhelmed with anger on top of grief, on top of everything else that we feel, but for Ezekiel, God carries him to the edge of this valley where he has to look at a horrifying picture of a field scattered and covered with bones. Bones of his own people it's the way the story seems to read, that have become dry and brittle, broken, been dead long, long time. And God asks him a simple question, do you think these bones can live again? Do you think these lives that have been stolen in violence can find new life? And Ezekiel um, probably says the right answer, right? He says, I don't know, you do, right? Like, you're God, I'm not God, you tell me. And uh, God informs him to command, to prophesy to the bones to come alive. And bones start to attach to bones with sinew and ligaments and tendons and muscles start to form and skin covers over them. Suddenly there are these new 
atoms. These new people of dust whose bodies have been formed simply by the command, let there be life. And so these figures exist, right? Sort of as like golems until God instructs Ezekiel to call on, to prophesy to the winds, mimicking the same call that God made to breathe, breathe the breath of life into the first people, the Adam. And Ezekiel replicates Genesis 2, calling the winds from the four corners of the earth to fill the lungs of these people of dirt. And suddenly they're filled with life and they're able to start again. And then God says to Ezekiel, this is Israel. And what I'd say to you is I see many of us wrapped up in this same story our nation, our culture, our lives are so wrapped up in violence, surrounded by death, surrounded by heartache and hurt feelings and resentments. Many of us feel like dried up bones crumbling into the earth. God looks over each one of us and knows that there is always new life to come. When everything seems lost, everything seems broken, when there is no hope, God stands on the edge of a vast valley of death and reminds us, life will find a way. It always does. That continues to be true. And in this Advent season, we have a very particular person that we look to. As people of faith, we have a very particular person that we look to. And that is the physical manifestation of our God, made known to us in Jesus Christ, the son of Mary and Joseph, brother to James, and teacher to our world for a new way to live life. One that insists on healing rather than killing. One that insists on uniting rather than dividing and fighting against our God. Is a God of grace, peace, of hope, of love. Our God is a God of abundance and calls each one of us to learn how to trust in that abundance. So that when we feel most dry, most desolate, most lacking in our sense of hope, we would allow God to come to our side, scoop up what bones remain of us, and call God's own spirit to re-enter into our lives so that we can begin anew. That is our story. God persistently coming alongside us in our darkest moments to call us back to life. We simply need to listen and breathe deep. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.